Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are able to be here uh, this morning to read your word. Um, We pray that as we read your word and listen to it that um, our hearts may be open and that we may take what you have to tell us and to teach us and be able to live that out in our lives, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I'm sure you're all aware by now that we're in 2024. It's a new year. Uh, For many, uh, you're probably pretty excited. Uh, There's probably a lot of optimism, a chance to start anew. And it's good to be optimistic. Actually, it's probably the right thing to be optimistic in our new year. But I wonder, what are you worried about this year? Is there any dread Maybe you're worried about your job, maybe school, maybe maybe family life. Maybe you've worried about your health or the health of loved ones. Uh, you might not be optimistic about world events, about wars, about natural disasters. We might be optimistic about our personal growth, but just as in 2024, life might be, become better for us, We know that more likely than not, 2024 will be full of hardship. And there is a lot to be worried about. But even with all these unknowns and possibilities and all of our worries, I actually read in Psalm 97, we read that we are to rejoice because God reigns. Now this isn't a theoretical encouragement, but a deep source of comfort and joy. God is the king over all the earth. And this is not just good news for a small part of the world, but for everyone. And you might be wondering, how can this be the case? Life is hard and might not get any better this year. So how can we be hopeful and rejoice this year? Well, just to kind of put your fears at ease... We actually learn that God reigns through his righteousness and grace. And we actually see this through Jesus. In your handouts, uh, you will see uh, three headings. So the king's righteousness and justice. uh, Varied responses to the king and also the king's uh, people, actually. Those who love the king. So in the first six verses, the psalmist tells us that that God is the king over all the earth and we can rejoice in his reign because of God's righteousness and justice. So in verses uh, 2 to 5, the psalmist paints a picture of God appearing in what is called a theophany, which means an appearance of God. In the Bible, we have many examples of theophanies, But Psalm 97 uses similar language to God's appearance on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. After God saves the Israelites from Egypt, he leads them to Mount Sinai and he appears to them. And this is what that appearance was like in Exodus chapter 19. On the the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. 
so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So if you look at those verses in Psalm 97, you'll see that Exodus shows an event of God appearing to his people quite in a similar way. It's similar to Psalm 97 in that it is loud and terrifying. We see that God is shrouded from those looking onward. As we behold his appearance, we actually only see the effects. We only see the smoke and clouds that loom that tell us that God is far greater and different than us. Likewise, God comes in fire on Mount Sinai and in Psalm 97. Fire goes before God to burn up his adversaries, to burn up those who rebel against the king. You see, the fire is God's hostility to sin. It's his hatred to it. Then in verse 4, there is lightning like in Mount Sinai. But the difference is, in Psalm 97, the whole world sees this lightning. I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen a vast lightning display. This week on Tuesday, we experienced a great storm with lots of lightning. I'm sure you can remember. The sky was, was bright and terrifying. It was also dark and gloomy. Gloomy. A person I know told me uh, this week that she just remembers the storm suddenly appearing, suddenly happening. She couldn't do anything but notice how everything changed in an instant. All of a sudden, the storm was there. It was loud. It was bright. God's appearance is like that, but even more terrifying. It actually seems that the storm and lightning goes on forever. It has no end. It covers the whole earth. It's loud and bright. The God who judges sin with fire, who burns up his adversaries, lights up the whole world in this magnificent display. See and trembles, not only does he light up the world, but actually we read in Psalm 97 that he, the mountains melt like wax. Nothing is higher than God as his power goes forth in his appearance. This is the God who reigns and rules. Normal storms aren't like God. Worldly kings and leaders aren't like God. God is God. And God is a far more powerful ruler than anything or anyone. God is sovereign with complete control over his creation. The appearance of God is not a common occurrence, but changes everything as the immutable, unchanging king appears before the changeable, sinful creation. This is the king over all the earth. But why should we rejoice? Doesn't this image maybe cause us to be afraid or maybe show fear? Well, in the second half of verse 2, 
the psalmist draws back the curtain of God's mysterious shroud, declaring that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God acts and appears through his righteousness and justice. And his characteristics tell us how different God is to us, that all his divinely kingly actions are morally right. God is righteous because he acts in the right way. It's part of who he is. As the king, he shows his right actions with how he deals with evil and sin and loves his people. This gives the listeners of the psalm cause to rejoice, as it should us. Through the harshness of life and struggles to follow God, they know that God rules in righteousness and justice. As his righteous judgment goes out from him, as it burns and melts mountains and lights up the sky, is not unpredictable or malicious, but just and right. The powerful scene of God's appearance is cause for rejoicing in those who trust in God. But there is an even greater and fuller appearance of God. God's appeared in an even greater way that displays his righteousness and judgment in such a way that deals with our sin and rebellion in its finality. He gives us greater cause to rejoice. We're going to go to our John chapter 1 passage and such a beautiful, amazing passage. We're going to look at uh, verses 14 to 18. Here's what they, this is what they say. They say, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. See, God has appeared in Jesus. He's made himself known through Jesus. The king over all the earth has arrived, and it's Jesus. God shrouded in mystery has come as a man. This gives us even greater cause to rejoice because God, the king, as he acts in righteousness and justice, has poured out his righteous anger towards sin and rebellion, not towards his adversaries, but towards himself. Jesus' death is the death that God's enemies deserved. That is so great news for us because we were God's enemies. We read in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We were God's adversaries, meant for his fiery hostility, but the appearance of Jesus has meant that we have received grace. God in his righteousness has shown his grace, his free, un, his free undeserved merit towards us. That our sins and our rebellion towards God are forgiven. What cause to rejoice in the king? 
What great comfort we have that God reigns. So after God has appeared, there are, there are two responses to his appearance. The first is in verse 7. It says, All worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. The first group are people who follow and worship things other than God. These people worship other gods in the form of idols or images. They look to these images of, of a powerful force for security and help. The psalmist can see that this is futile to boast in idols or other gods that can't do what the living God who reigns over all the world can do. Living God has shown his power and might in all of creation over the supposed gods. God has demonstrated that those who worship images are really worshippers of nothing. These gods are nothing. They have no power. Most of us don't have physical idols of gods like the people of Israel would have known or in other parts of the world today. But we do put our hope in our desires. If we look at our homes, our cars, what we hope for in life, in our careers, we can usually find our idols in the things we put our trust or hopes in. We usually find those things in what we desire. Our hearts latch on and desire things that we think are good for us, that we can boast in and trust in, that we think will bring us security or power, that might help us or make us feel good or give us comfort. We don't have physical idols in our, heart, in our houses, but we have idols of the heart. One of my desires that I often have is that I'd like a new electric guitar. I have an acoustic guitar, but I'd love an electric guitar. I actually think that if I got a new, really good flash electric guitar, um, I'd actually play better. I think uh, people would like me, maybe, and like to hear me play. If I got a cool electric guitar, like a Les Paul or maybe a PRS, something that was really cool. You see, in desiring a guitar, but my hope that what is important in my life is that guitar or is maybe wanting to be liked by other people. It's a, it's a silly example, and actually having a guitar is not really my chief desire in life. But often we have desires that we place in priority over relationship, and especially over our relationship with God. Well, even then, our idols are put to shame. Those two are worthless, even my desire of a new guitar, because the king has come. God has shown his power in Jesus to save his enemies, to heal the sick and brokenhearted, to forgive our sins and bring us into his family to be his children. God has shown that he is greater than the things we desire. God is the king over all the earth. We should instead be like the second group of people. In verse 8, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. By Zion and the daughters of Judah, the psalmist is referring to Jerusalem and those who follow God in the land of Judah. These are those who trust and follow the king. Their response is one of joy 
God has gone out and judged his, in his righteousness and this delights the people of God. They don't place their trust in idols or other desires, but they put their hope in God. Like a medieval king going out into battle and winning, his people in the castle rejoice. So God's people rejoice because God has won. And we know that God has won because he has defeated sin and death. It's the greatest battle and defeat in history. God has shown that he is supreme in defeating his enemies. And in defeating his enemies, he's shown that he's greater than what other things we have placed our ultimate trust in. Now, in saying that, not that we don't place our trust in other things, in good things like seatbelts or trusting our spouses and parents, the government, our health system. There are many good things to trust in. But actually that we don't put our ultimate trust, our ultimate desire, uh, what we want for in life, what we find security and hope in, that we don't find our ultimate hope in things other than God. So if God is king over all the earth, our response should be one of joy because of how God has shown his power and righteousness through Jesus. We hear of this and are glad. But how can we be glad? What difference does responding to God make for us? How can it help us and be good for us when we worry or fear about what comes or may happen to us? These are legitimate questions. Well, the psalmist takes the time to narrow in on those who love the king and the difference that trusting and rejoicing in God makes. In verse 10, verse 10, the psalmist instructs, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Those who love God are to desire what he desires. They're to hate evil, the things that are actively against good. Not just one evil, but all evils. Their energy and desire is to be poured into hating evil as they love God. In other words, as they desire God, they hate that which stands against him. You see, evil is against God's righteous character. God hates it. He's against it. And as the king, he is going to expel it, to drive it out and destroy it. Like a gardener pulling out and killing weeds and thorns, so God is ridding his world of evil. And God, in his appearance, has shown his hostility towards evil. His fire went against his adversaries, lighting up the world, and mountains melted away. We've seen that God is against evil. So how ridiculous is it if I, as one of God's people, who says that they love God, were to not hate evil, to not wish its extermination, to think some evils were worse than others, or that the things that we know God is against, we do anyway. How ridiculous we know God's righteousness, and we know how his justice has been met in Jesus. But the, motiv- motiv- sorry, the motivation of God's people to hate evil is not one out of fear, but it's out of joy and love. It is, it is their joy because they have experienced God's justice and because it has benefited them. So with us, we hate evil and we love God more and more, not because of fear or guilt, but because we have experienced the result of his justice and grace. We hate evil because we love God 
and because God has loves us. Then as we hate evil and desire our king, God preserves the lives of the saints, those who have been sanctified, who have been set apart, those who are the king's people. God will preserve their lives. He will keep them safe. Those who are God's people have no need to fear because God, whose righteousness and power can be seen over all the earth and shown his power over the gods of nothing, is preserving the lives of those who love him. There is no need to fear. God's people can trust in God's saving power. And God preserves not just in protecting now, but actually God's people preserved in the next life. They have something to hope for, not just now, but coming. Actually, we read in verse 11 that light is sown for the righteous. By light, the psalmist is referring to God's presence and his righteousness. The darkness, evil, will always be present and seek to smother God's people. It seeks to always be there. But God has sown seeds of light that will germinate, it will grow and grow in and for the righteous. There is hope that we will enjoy more fully God's goodness and the fruit of righteousness. We can have comfort and hope that there are many things that might seem to be against us and are against us. God's people are never promised a life where as darkness surrounds us, we will be safe. He never promised that there will be no hardship or struggle. Difficulty is a present reality. But how comforting that God's light will bear fruit in us. That in God's people there is fruit and growth. That in our life, though there are tough times, though God's people fight the darkness and fight evil, there is hope that the light, God's presence, will grow and flourish. That we're changing to know God more and to be righteous, to hate evil like our God is and does. And that there will be a time when God's people will be away from the darkness, from sin, death and evil, from the worries of the world, when God's people will finally be free of sin and will be sin and, sorry, will be free of sin and they will be righteous. There is hope in a world there is hope in a hopeless world that God will bring all darkness and evil to an end, and when we will actually be with God. I don't know what this year will hold for you. It might be the best year of all, and I surely hope it is. Or all your worries might be realised. So I have no idea. But through it all, God's people have reason to hope and rejoice in God because he is sovereign and in control. Uh, In the 17th century, there was a close confidant of Oliver Cromwell named Bulstrad Whitlock. Uh, just after the English Civil War, Bulstrad, he was travelling to Sweden to be an envoy and he was so worried about England's political state that one night he was unable to sleep. It kind of makes sense. The whole country was in upheaval, Parliament was a mess and he was going to Sweden to discuss an alliance. He probably felt like he was carrying a great weight. He probably had many things to worry about. Then one of his servants noticed his struggle 
and asked him these questions. He asked, Sir, may I ask you a question? Of course, said Whitlock. Pray, sir, do you think God governed the world very well before you came into it? He asked. Certainly, said Whitlock. And do you think he will govern it quite as well when you are gone out of it? He continued. Undoubtedly. Then pray, sir, excuse me, but do you not think that you may trust him to govern it quite as well while you are living? Whitlock had no answer to this question, but he rolled over quietly in his bed and was soon asleep. How comforting it is that God is in control. He is the king over all the earth. We can rest assured that God governs well. He governs righteously and justly. Like Whitlock, we can sleep well knowing that God reigns. We can trust God is greater than all our worries in the world. But not only that, not only can we have peace that God rules, but we can marvel at the wonder of God, that through Jesus he has rescued and saved us. This year rejoice in God as he reigns over all the earth, because he is great and worthy to be praised. Let me pray. Lord Heavenly Father, you reign over all the earth. Let all the earth rejoice. Lord, you have shown and you have appeared in such a magnificent way in Jesus. You have shown that you uh, judge righteously and with grace, Lord. And we know that through Jesus, um, you've made us your people, Lord, that we may rejoice, that we may praise and glorify you, Lord. We pray that through the many worries that we may have of this year, Lord, uh, that you will be able to give us peace and comfort and also give us joy that you uh, reign, um, that you have control over your creation, Lord. And that you are working in us that we may be like Jesus and that we may um, ultimately be with you, Lord. We pray that we will fix our eyes on you and rejoice in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.